If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com. Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Ajar Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Now, this is what we call Jim Nance Week. <laughs> From the Final Four in Indianapolis Championship game tonight to the Masters at Augusta. And we're somewhere in between, by the way. We're up at Amelia River Golf Club celebrating a little golf on Masters Week. We continue with our Dream 18 card. You can play here, by the way, Discounted Golf. And we have discounted the Dream 18 card even more this week. Go to ESPN690.com. Uh, for 69 bucks, just about $30 off the Dream 18 card this week because of the Masters. So uh, this is one of the courses you can play. We'll tell you all about Amelia River Golf Club coming up. But we're on the island, Fernandina Beach. We're actually within the city limits of Fernandina Beach. Absolutely love it up here. Brent Mortno, Austin Lane back in the Action Sports Shack studios. What a game we had the other night, Austin. Saturday night, Gonzaga, UCLA. Boy, if we get a championship game like that tonight, we'll be talking about it for decades. Yeah, that was uh, that was an insane game. Uh, I'm gonna be honest, like it was a crazy shot. It was a buzzer beater. Um, you know, it's probably the highlight of the entire tournament. But I feel like when you're the favorite by ten points, and you also had that happen to you, like to me, if UCLA would have did that, it would have been a lot more, I guess, pleasing to me. But for whatever reason, I want to see like double overtime. So like, it was crazy. I was in shock. But I'm like, dang, I felt bad for UCLA. Yeah, I did too. I mean, UCLA played just about a perfect game. I thought it was a well-played game, and we have recency bias, right? So everybody all of a sudden is like, that's the greatest game ever played on Saturday night. And I say, wait a minute, now hold the phone. I think I just saw a couple years ago North Carolina play Villanova in a championship game that was one for the ages. And I think that will be underrated one for the ages. There were a couple shots down the stretch of that game. But front to back, I think this one had the argument for it. Just superb play. And, again, we get the two best teams in college basketball. UCLA wasn't one of the best teams in college basketball all year. Baylor was. Gonzaga is. And now we get that one tonight. And maybe it lives up to the hype, Austin. I mean, this is kind of what you want in sports. I, I think we love March Madness because of Cinderella, because of all the different things and scenarios we can get because of our brackets being busted. But at the end of the day in sports, you do like when the two best teams compete for it all, and that's what we got tonight. Without a doubt. And it's crazy because this has been obviously a wild tournament. Um, you know, you had a lot of double-digit seeds make it a long ways, and it looked like everyone's bracket was busted right away. But at the end of this, when the smoke has cleared and the dust has settled, you had the two best teams through this, you know, through this crazy year, number one, but this crazy tournament as well. So while... You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I, I, I'm excited because we're seeing the two best teams, and I get that. But to me, it, it loses a little bit of its luster because it's almost like, well, we pre- we kind of predicted this. We've kind of seen it coming. But at least from my perspective, I thought, well, there's no way it's going to be Baylor and Gonzaga. Something crazy is going to happen. And while crazy stuff did happen, you saw the two best teams. Well, here's the deal, right? I mean, I, I guess we're all guilty of this. I was like, greatest tournament ever. That's what I tweeted after that game uh, on Saturday night. And the reason why I feel that way, and, and although that's probably not true, I, I understand that. Uh, somebody else, you know, 
kind of chimed back in and said, hey, uh, really, this was like the only good game of the tournament. And I was like, wait a minute. No, it wasn't. There's been a lot of good games in the tournament. And in March, the one thing you want is a crazy first four days. You know, the round of 64, the round of 32, we love that about March, right? We love the about the NCAA tournament when there are upsets. And, you know, you've got the 12 seeds and the 11 seeds and the 10 seeds, and, and not all chalk is winning. But then at the end of the day, when you go to the end of it, you really want some of the best teams still around so we see good games that result in championships. I think we got the best of both. I mean, we've got the two top teams. We got a Houston team that was very good and different. And then we have a UCLA team, which is kind of like the epitome of sports. Uh, they are this program that obviously comes with a ton of history, but they were playing the best right now of almost anybody. I mean, they played excellent for the last three or four weeks. And that's what sports offers in the postseason. And, by the way, I know UCLA isn't a Cinderella, but it does come with an 11 seed attached to it. That makes it, for me, forget about what happened in between. Take the first four days and take the last two days, and I think that's what we remember all the time about the NCAA tournament. We hardly remember the Sweet 16 games or the Elite 8 games. I think that's what made this tournament special. I think it lived up to the hype, and it probably will go down, for me, as one of the most memorable tournaments that we've ever had. To me, it all depends what happens tonight. You know, I think if you have a competitive game um, tonight, uh, uh, close to a nail-biter, let's just say, then I think you have every right to say that. Um, there still is a lot of storylines going on the championship game. You know, can Gonzaga go undefeated? Can they win their first national championship? So while it may seem like chalk a little bit in terms of the teams playing the championship, just because it's chalk doesn't mean there's not storylines there to be had as well. Well, so the NCAA tournament, we'll talk more about Baylor and we'll talk about Gonzaga. I think you can make the case, either one. Now, who is going to win the game? We can talk about that. We'll analyze the game. We have our predictions, all that stuff. But I think you can make the case that these two programs, whoever wins, is one of the best stories in all of sports that we can remember over the last two decades. And we'll talk a little bit more about it coming up, Baylor and Gonzaga. It is Masters Week. Not going to get heavy into the Masters just yet. A bunch of storylines, but we got all week to discuss that. Obviously, it doesn't tee off until Thursday. Uh, we'll be at a couple golf courses this week to help celebrate uh, the Masters, and, and we'll have a little bit of it coming up a bit later on. But we talk a lot of football on, on this show, uh, and... You know, it's time, Austin. We've been talking now since, shoot, middle of December. Jags go 1-13, 1-14. They, they end up getting that number one pick. Been talking about Trevor Lawrence. We got the end of December. We got Urban Meyer stuff in January. More Trevor Lawrence. We go on the road for a week and a half with Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. We go to uh, Pro Day for at Clemson for Trevor Lawrence. We talk about it in February and in March. Well, and here we are. Here we are in April. And it is Trevor Lawrence time. It, the Jags are have been on the clock for a while, but now the countdown begins. We're just outside of three weeks away from the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise potentially changing like it's never changed before. Trevor Lawrence is about to become a reality. Yeah, and it couldn't happen fast enough because I'll be honest, <laughs> we, we've been going over the same. And listen, it's still fun to go over, obviously. Um, to me, what's kept me going are the doubters out there. Uh, number one, those guys that say that, you know, Zach Wilson might be the best quarterback of this draft. And, and we'll see. Time will tell from that. But it's also the fact of, of saying, you know, uh, could Jackson maybe go something? No, you know he's they're taking Trevor Lawrence. You know the reason why Urban Meyer is the head coach right now was because Trevor Lawrence could be an option. All the pieces fell into place. 
all the stars aligned, and now it's nothing but a formality. So, you know, when you have the the, the phrase formality, um, you kind of have to evolve the storylines in different ways, right? Like, I think if if you're the Jets right now, I'm not sure, like, what their, you know, sports media are like. I assume they're probably thinking Zach Wilson. But I think you can make an argument for a bunch of things that you can talk about. If you're San Francisco right now, I'm sure their sports, you know, radio shows are off the hook because you're going Mac Jones, you're going Trey Lance, you're going Justin Fields. It's it's really, you know, it, it's been a different time, I feel like, in Jacksonville here where we've just been talking about, hey, it's Trevor Lawrence. Our, our job's pretty easy from that standpoint. Now, 25, the second round, the third round. Those are going to be harder things to determine, and that's what we can talk about. But as far as the number one overall pick's concerned, our job's pretty easy. It certainly is easy, but with time comes the search and the endless search at times for more flaws from players. If you take me back all the way to maybe October, November, I would say even the early part of December, before I knew the Jags would get the number one pick, before my attention wasn't necessarily locked in on Trevor Lawrence, instead I was locked in more on a Justin Fields or maybe a Zach Wilson. Uh, those two were kind of kind of in my uh, line of sight when it looked like the Jags were going to pick number two in the NFL draft. If we go back to that time frame, now talking four, five, six months ago, I really did think that by the time we got to late April, Justin Fields may catch or close the gap, I should say, more than catch, close the gap on Trevor Lawrence in all the pundits, analysts, experts, and uh, analysis and evaluations. Because what happens during that time frame is everybody wants to pick so much apart, and they want to uh, you know, find the flaw of every player, and it's been done. And I think we got a little bit of that as we've gone along from Chris Sims saying, oh, I think Zach Wilson's the guy. From Justin Fields really falling to potentially the fourth or fifth quarterback taken in this draft. And while there's been few holes poked in the game of Trevor Lawrence, there's been a narrative at times by some to say stop the car on the generational talent stuff. I see flaws in this guy. I guess what I'm asking you all these months later, are you still as gung-ho on Trevor Lawrence after all the evaluations, all the critics, uh, as you were back maybe mid-December when we were singing Trevor Lawrence is coming to town live on TV because of our excitement? <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have not wavered. Um, what I said about Trevor Lawrence – you know, I mean, even way back when it seemed like he wouldn't even uh, come close to being a Jacksonville Jaguar, I, I still stand behind. Um, and I feel like a lot of things I've said about all the quarterbacks, I still stand behind, including Justin Fields. It's just, it, it, it's so, I don't know. I, I guess this happens every year when we talk about NFL draft prospects, especially at the quarterback position. Like, I don't know what happened to Justin Fields. I sat here and said, I think at the Indiana game, I'm not a believer anymore, as much as I was. And it seemed like that didn't really deter anybody. And then all of a sudden, when he has probably his best game of his career on one of the biggest stages, and he's got banged up ribs, and he comes out and he balls out, then people want to get off the Justin Fields bandwagon. And I don't know if it's just a trickle-down effect where one expert says something and then other people follow behind him, but I'm like, what did you have to say about the Indiana game? 
because that to me was the deciding factor. And don't tell me that he, you know, they were rushing after him and he felt pressure in the pocket. Go back to his interceptions. Two of those interceptions were on him. One of them was on his receiver. Two of them were on him. Okay, those are Justin Fields' mistakes, not Ohio State mistakes. So like, it just it baffles me all the time that you can have that bad game like he had against Indiana. You can have that bad game against Northwestern. But it's not until the season's finally done and, you know, and experts start talking to each other, then it's like Justin Fields is wavering. And it kind of seems, seems like the same way for Trevor Lawrence, where it's like the whole time, the, the past couple of years, we've been told Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, is the next Andrew Luck in terms of, uh, you know, his talent and in terms of just, you know, his draft grade. And then, you know, the season goes on. He doesn't win the big one. But then after the season, then it's like, well, this Zach Wilson guy, this Zach Wilson guy. Well, this Zach, I mean, okay. But but it's just, it's crazy to me how you can go through your entire college career and be the guy. But all of a sudden, apparently you're a draft expert and you watch some YouTube videos and now you decide, well, maybe he's not the guy. Or all of a sudden you're the draft expert and you see Justin Fields after his big, you know, game against, um, you know, uh, Clemson. And I was like, mm, uh, I don't know if he's, he's not the guy. Why don't you say he wasn't the guy against Northwestern? Why don't you say he wasn't the guy against Indiana? So I get it. You talk to scouts, they say stuff. You talk to GMs, they say stuff. It could be a smokescreen, all this stuff. I mean, ask Dan Orlowski, that's going for him right now. Mm. But at the end of the day, I'm going to stick by what I think about Trevor Lawrence. And it's the same thing I've always said since his freshman year when he beat Alabama. I'm like, that, that was the only time I counted against Trevor Lawrence. When he played Alabama, I'm like, there's no way this freshman's going to come in. I don't care how touted he is. I don't care how great his hair looks. There's no way he's going to go against Alabama on the biggest stage and beat them. And he did. And he shut me up. And since then, he's earned my respect. So I'm going to stand by that. I think he's going to be a great talent, probably the best talent since Andrew Luck. And we'll see just how good he can be. Yeah, and I kind of agree with you, man. I haven't wavered at all. I just asked the question on social media, have you wavered at all? Do you have any doubts? Because I think people want to kind of put those doubts in your mind. I really haven't. I mean, maybe it was a trip to his hometown. Maybe it's a couple trips to Clemson. Maybe whatever it is. I think it's more than just the football player that Jacksonville's about to get. I don't hear those kind of things talked about as much with Zach Wilson. Do hear a little bit of that with Justin Fields, and I think he would have been that guy, too. I think he's strong off the field, too, and Zach Wilson might be. Uh, but we'll see. I, I just don't hear that as much. But Trevor Lawrence will be. And Trevor Lawrence is going to be big in Jacksonville, probably big across the NFL with the Shield, and most importantly on the field. And I think he's still every bit of what everybody expected him to be, um, claimed him to be, and it's the reason why he is the undoubted number one pick in this draft. I mean, you might find a person here or there, but very few people will say it's not Trevor Lawrence at number one. You can poke the hole in the game. You can do all these things. You can critique. You can evaluate. But everybody has him number one, uh, including the Jacksonville Jaguars, including Urban Meyer. And so I think that says a lot. I think part of this process where I thought Justin Fields would jump up and into the mix and close the gap just because it's the way it goes over these few months, I thought it was Justin Fields, but it's really been Zach Wilson. You know, and that's been the conversation piece around the NFL and around these quarterbacks. Really, that and Mac Jones, Austin, you know. I feel like because Trevor Lawrence is a foregone conclusion, everybody said, okay, we did this on Trevor, boom, let's turn the page. All right, what do we got in Justin? What do we got in Zach Wilson? What do we got in Mac Jones? Where do these guys fit? And Trey Lance even. 
but I really feel like this draft offseason has become all about Zach Wilson and really Mac Jones even more so than Justin Fields. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely – I think that it's the collapse – of Justin Fields and maybe nothing that to, that he's done. Basically, it's what people are saying about him. I think that deserves to be said, but I, I do think it is the rise of Mac Jones. But for sure, it's the rise of Zach Wilson because you you had a guy in Mac Jones where you knew that he was probably going to be able to at least you know ac- accumulate a, a pretty good season with all that talent around him. So he was on everyone's radar um, going into this this past season. I think Zach Wilson's a different story. I didn't know a lot about Zach Wilson. Um, I didn't know Zach Wilson was going to be where he's at at the end of the year. You know, coming from BYU, where yeah, you know, they've had a quarterback maybe come out of there, and you might have heard of him. But coming from BYU, where I don't call it a, a small school by any means, but you know, it's not, it's not the SEC, it's not the Big Ten, it's not the ACC. So you almost have this underdog a little bit, and then you look how this guy's built and how he plays the game. Well, he's also a little bit of underdog in that standpoint, and you kind of have this one-year wonder, a la Joe Burrow, a little bit, where hey, like that deserves to be talked about as well. Because nobody wants to be, quote unquote, the draft expert and, you know, say, well, where'd this guy come from? I'm not going to talk about him. Like, you have to talk about Zach Wilson because nobody saw this dude coming um, as, as, as good as he is. Now, we, we could maybe see Kyle Trask a little bit. Maybe we saw Mac Jones. We obviously saw Justin Fields. But it's always the guy that you don't see coming that gets a lot of the headlines. Joe Burrow got it last year, rightfully so, Heisman Trophy winner. And Zach Wilson's getting it this year. Yeah, I think you're right on. I think this has become about Zach Wilson. You know, the moral of the story is this is what happens in the draft process. I would say this. I think maybe that Trevor Lawrence didn't even get poked and prodded, if you will, by the analysts and the evaluators as much as a normal draft prospect. One, because he was so high to begin with, right? I mean, everybody's comparing him to some of the greatest to ever come out as prospect. And he's that good of a prospect. You know, everybody has their, that's saying he's going to be, he doesn't have flaws or he can't grow, but from a prospect level standpoint, he checks so many boxes. I also wonder, Austin, if the lack of the normal pro day on the calendar, the lack of the combine, I think led to less information being passed around, maybe less smoke screens, less behind the uh, microphone kind of criticism that others might talk about, get out, therefore rumors start, headlines start. I just feel like a lot of that uh, was avoided by Lawrence. One, because he, he moved up his pro day, and two, because he had the surgery, and so he's kind of been off the radar for everybody. It hasn't really been in, in the public eye. So I just think it's a fascinating part of it. And for the first time in this franchise's history, they've, they hold all the cards. And they hold it with this unbelievable prospect by so many that we put on this pedestal that some say generational, some don't. Uh, and I wanted to check in. I wanted to check in with everybody and see, all right, do we still feel as good as we felt in mid-December, because Austin, mid-December when the Jacks got the number one pick was a long time ago, and we haven't seen Trevor Lawrence much on the field, and the time that we did since the Jaguars got the number one pick, it was a so-so performance against Ohio State. It's the only time we've seen him on the field when we knew he was going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar, Um, but I agree with you. I think most fans agree. I think some of the responses on Twitter have already said that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Hey, we're all in, man. Uh, You don't have to talk us out of it. We're all in. No, because he hasn't given you a reason not to be all in. 
even you know even the last game of his college career where he didn't get to ho- you know hoist the national championship, but even that last game where people said eh, it wasn't his best game, it was still a pretty dang good game. So from that time, from his pro day, you know, from everything that you've heard, Trevor Lawrence hasn't given you a reason to doubt any of what you think of him. Depending, uh, it's in a good light. Um, is, you know, he hasn't had any like controversial things. Now he tweeted about shoes. So be it. But with that being like, that's the only thing. Like there's nothing on the field that you saw where it's like, well, I don't know anymore. So I, I think if you're a Jaguars fan and you're having second thoughts, what are we talking about right now? Honestly, because what gives you the right to have second thoughts when you've looked at the list of quarterbacks that we've had here the past decade? Yeah, I, uh, well, that's true, too, right? <laughs> I mean, it's all relative in that regard. Uh, it, I think it's going to be a great quarterback class. Uh, I really do. I think these guys are going – I'm kind of rooting for it to be too, Austin, you know? Uh, that's okay. Like, I have no – I want Zach Wilson to be good if he ends up in New York. I want Justin Fields to be good. I certainly want Mac Jones to be good. Uh, now, I hope they don't end up in the division. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I hope our guy's better than all of them. Yeah. But uh, – it's really a fun process, and it kind of hit me today, man, that we're here. Like, I mean, we are working a lot behind the scenes on shows and everything else, TV-wise, and here, uh, that the draft is here. It's this month. Like, we got the Masters. we got the National Championship game tonight. But all eyes on April 29th in Jacksonville, no doubt about it. Let's take a break. We come back. We'll talk more football, talk more about that national title game. Whoever wins, and really, I don't think you have to win to become – Really one of the best stories in sports of the last couple of decades and maybe in the history of sports, quite frankly. Not just basketball. Baylor and Gonzaga go at it tonight at 920 for the tip. We're at Amelia River Golf Club. It's Masters Week. You can get the Dream 18 card, which means discounted golf here at Amelia River and other places around Northeast Florida and Southeast Georgia for just $69 this week. Almost $30 off the Dream 18 card. Go to ESPN690.com. We'll be right back. Austin Lane. Are we on right now or not? Like our screen? I guess we're good. Brent Martino. Yeah, you got to okay. go all the way. Yeah, we're back. Thanks for your concern. You're welcome. Uh. <laughs> Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. But the more I watched Zach Wilson, the more I'm very, very intrigued. Now, I don't think he's at the level. I've heard some say he's Aaron Rodgers, he's Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he's at that level. Uh, but there's something about the looseness in his body. He's got a live arm, not a power arm. Like, he doesn't have an arm like, let's say, Matthew Stafford. But he's got a live, loose arm. He's very loose with his body. He moves extremely well. Uh, as you know, Rich, no quarterback comes into the NFL a finished product. I, I would say, overall, Lawrence would probably still be uh, my guy at the top. <laughs> probably. That is Greg he's Cosell, loose, by the way. He's live. He's flexible. <laughs> it's like Gumby out there, man. Just loosen it up a little bit. Just start going to yoga studios and recruiting quarterbacks. Uh, that is Greg Cosell on the Rich Eisen Show. We'll, we'll play a little bit more of that because it was interesting. And it's really part of the, the, the what I heard and saw that got me thinking about talking about these quarterbacks a little bit more today. Um, that and the fact that we're just three weeks out from the NFL draft, uh, and it's going to be a day like none other really in Jacksonville, I think. I, I just don't know if we have fully even grasped it because at times it felt so long away, and, and now it's almost here. So I think it's a, a massive day coming in Jacksonville 
Uh, we'll continue to uh, talk about it. You know, and Cosell was really high on Zach Wilson. You know, and he said something in there, and you'll probably hear a little bit more of it as we go along. But he said really the only game that you can, you know, fully tell against up competition is the Coastal Carolina game for BYU last year. And he faced some pressure in that game. It was just okay with it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I thought Cosell did a good job. He's like, listen, just because he was okay with it doesn't mean he can't handle it at the NFL level. It was just a small sampling of it, and you could tell things were a little bit different when it happened. Uh, and so it was a nice cautionary tale of like, hey, what are you going to evolve into as a quarterback? Like, what will you be able to handle? I say it as as simply as this. If Patrick Mahomes was a perfect prospect on tape, then everybody would have taken him in the top five. I don't care who was picking. He would have never got down to number 10 for Kansas City to slide up and trade. And and even then, it didn't feel like a ton of teams. If Kansas City didn't pick him, I don't think they were waiting in line for Mahomes to pick. He might have slipped to 17, 18, 20, man. I mean, maybe somebody else jumps in and get him. But it just shows you, as good as Patrick Mahomes is, there are some things we can't answer by watching these guys in college. And sometimes, Austin, that comes out as good or bad. Like, some of the answers might not be the answers we want to see or know. And that's the case with Trevor Lawrence. That's the case with Zach Wilson. That's the case with all these guys. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, with Zach Wilson, I don't know. We'll, we'll see with Zach Wilson. I get there's a lot of intrigue. You know, the, the talent, like, with Joe Burrow is one thing. Because Joe Burrow won the Heisman and he won a national championship against, you know, some of the best competition in college football. Not taking away anything from Zach Wilson and the competition that he played, because when he played that competition, he, he still shined. Like, he, he still made you watch his film. But obviously, with the Coastal Carolina game, that's the one where you feel like, well, you got to win that one, right? Like, that's the one where you're taking out a team that's ranked. This is your chance to shine. Like, this is your big stage right now. And... While they didn't win the game, I have to go back and check his stats again, but I don't think it was his best game that he played in. So is that a red flag? Well, I don't know. It's, it's one bad game. And guess what? Patch Mahomes played probably a lot of bad games. So I'm not sitting here and saying I'm, I'm a Zach Wilson non-believer. I'm just saying when you have these one-year wonder type of guys, it helps when you play guys in the SEC like you know Joe Burrow obviously did. Jonathan Cordell jumped in on uh, social media when I asked, are, are you concerned at all, anything wavering? He said, my only concern is that the level of confidence is so high that if we see struggle in year one, which isn't uncommon for year number one, our fans will freak out and make knee-jerk judgments. It's going to be interesting to see how he starts, Trevor Lawrence does, in Jacksonville. I've said this countless times. I feel good about the way he'll start. One, we know this. There's no question he's going to be the guy day one. That's that's a foregone conclusion. A lot of guys are, but not everybody is. And Mac Jones could end up in Atlanta or San Francisco and definitely not be the number one guy. Trey Lance, I think, could end up in a spot for sure. He won't be the number one guy right away. And so I I think Trevor Lawrence, we know this, and we agree with this, Austin, that he's going to be the top guy uh, from day one. I also have a little bit of confidence that if you look at the trend in the track record for Trevor Lawrence, his first year shows no Growing pains. I'm sure there are hidden growing pains, but he won a national title in year one with Clemson once he got in the lineup, and he was terrific as a freshman quarterback even in high school uh, when he got in there. So 
he kind of came in and impressed right away. I expect him to do the same as well. That's not to say he won't grow and evolve and be a better quarterback three years down the road than he is in year one. But I actually have a confidence that he's going to come in and play pretty well. And the last part of that, Austin, is this. I believe, and I've said this countless times, when you have a rookie quarterback, a young quarterback, when you're one in fifteen and you're picking number one overall, you're the Colts and Peyton Manning. You're one in fifteen for a reason, and a lot of times it's because the offense stinks. I don't think the Jags' offense stinks. I think the Jags have pieces around him. They added more in free agency. They'll add more in the draft. I think their offensive line is very suitable to welcome a rookie quarterback into the league, way better than, say, Cincinnati a year ago. So for all those reasons, I'm not telling you he's going to be the MVP in year one. I'm not telling you he's going to win ten games in year one. I just think his floor for his career is already higher than most, and I actually believe his floor for year one is pretty high. Because of all those things I just mentioned. Do you think he wins Rookie of the Year? Yeah, I would say um, I would bet on him, yes. Okay. How about that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to say Zach Wilson would be in New York most well, likely. Let, let the other good guys question. are not playing. Who else would be? I guess you could go like Jamar Chase, those kind of guys, yes, right? Yes, correct. Um, you remember Herbert now came out a little bit of nowhere to win the, the Rookie of the Year. So it's not a slam dunk. But I would say the odds are that he will be a favorite to win the Rookie of the Year, and I would put money on that. Would you take him or the field? Uh, I think the smart bet in reality would be the field. But I'm ta- but I'm saying what would you do? I'm not asking what, what, like, what the smart bet is. Like, what, would you take the field over Trevor Lawrence? Uh... I'm not smart better. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I would have no problem taking Lawrence in that bet if you want to like if somebody wanted to do that with me. Like okay. I, I, I seriously feel like like everything I just said, he's his trend says he'll play well immediately. Uh he's surrounded by better than a lot of young quarterbacks would be surrounded by entering their first year of the league. Um I think those reasons and the maturity about him already, I, I just think those reasons say, you know what, I could see him having a good year. And, and what, what did Herbert win, by the way? You don't have to win like nine, ten games to win Rookie of the Year. Like Herbert was, what were they, six and ten or something? Uh, something like that, yeah. But obviously, I mean, he had some crazy numbers to go along with that. And record. he did. Well, so my point being, I think Trevor has a better chance of having crazy numbers than he does having seven, eight, nine wins. Gotcha. You know? So so like uh, so do you, do you think that because I mean I, I can look up I mean, we might have talked about this before a little bit but like do you think that Lawrence is going to have a better year than Justin Herbert did because keep can in you? mind what, what Justin Herbert had though I mean he, what did he do Well I'm saying he had I'm looking it up right now but like from the standpoint of he had some pretty great weapons at his disposal I mean when Austin Eckler was healthy then you got a three down back um, you had Keenan Allen let's look it up here. Justin Herbert, so his rookie year, 4,336 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Played, 31 and 10. Wow. P- played in 15 games, went 6 and 9. Yeah, that's impressive. Do you think uh, Trevor Lawrence can match that? I would say that is hard to match, but I still think you can. W- he won rookie of the year going away. I think you could win rookie of the year with a little bit less than that. Maybe it's 27 and 12. Okay. You know, um, maybe it's 3,800 yards. Mm-hmm. But I think he's capable of that, man. I, I don't know if they'll put that much on him. They've got a back that went for 1,400 yards from scrimmage. Is there a reason to do that, uh, to put all this on Trevor? Now, they will be behind, much like Herbert was at times. See, Herbert won so many people over 
in that primetime game against the Saints. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. And so he goes back and forth with New Orleans, and I think they end up losing that game. It was kind of fluky because that's what the Chargers kind of do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a coming out party. Like he had played well, and then everybody was like, hey, keep an eye. Wow, look at what he's doing. You know, he's wow, holy cow. They weren't even planning on playing this guy. But it was that night, in my opinion, that you could see it. And with a team like New Orleans, and he went back and forth, toe-to-toe, and a good defense, too. And I thought that was the night where everything kind of was like, okay, this guy's going to win not only the Rookie of the Year, but this guy might have a chance to be great. You know, the narrative changed on him. See, that kind of narrative will start the year. The expectations will be so much higher for Lawrence based on where he's picked and how he's talked about Believe it or not, as much as Herbert was talked about the year prior and last year when he did what he did, he was still somewhat of a surprise because they didn't plan on playing him uh, when they did. Mm-hmm. So and, and how it happened, of course. Yeah. So uh, I think, yeah, man, I, I really do believe – I think it will be hard to duplicate. That was sensational. I'm not putting that kind of uh, – I'm not putting that on Trevor Lawrence. You know, I'm not putting 4,300 yards, 31-10 and 10 on Trevor Lawrence. Is he capable of it? I bet he is. Uh, but this was a 1-15 team. I think you do take your lumps a little bit at times, and I think mistakes are there to be made. So uh, I would be surprised if it's that kind of good statistically. But if he has a game in prime time or on a late Sunday afternoon, like Herbert did, if he brings them back and keeps them in the mix a couple of game-winning drives, almost like Mitch you did that rookie year, Austin, mm-hmm. if he can do some of that, well, the, the he's going to win rookie of the year going away uh, is my point. So, uh, agreed. I think if you look at the Chargers back in 2000, and it would have been 2019, they go 5-11. and 11. They had Justin Herbert, and they go 6-9 and nine with him. They go 7-9 and nine total. And you look at the, the numbers that Justin Herbert had. Realistically, I think that if Trevor Lawrence could and I agree with you I don't think he's going to put up Justin Herbert type numbers I think if he puts up 3800 yards 27 touchdowns and those interceptions can be held under 10 I think that if your team doesn't win at least 5 or 6 games then you know what are we talking about so it all kind of goes hand in hand here and, and and I get it back in 2019 the Chargers they had a lot of injuries like they underachieved all this stuff I understand that but the Chargers, in my opinion, they kind of took a step forward. And it's crazy to say they took a step forward because they lost a lot of close games. Yeah. And we're saying, should Anthony Lynn be out and all this stuff? Now, I don't really hear that narrative anymore. But what the narrative that I do hear is, man, these Chargers now, Justin Herbert, let's see what happens. You know, like the, there's a lot of hope and optimism right now in Los Angeles. Yeah. I, hopefully, her, uh, hopefully Trevor Lawrence can do that exact same thing, win five or six games, improve, and then Get that hope back here in Jacksonville. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I think you're right. I think so much of it's feel more than what all the numbers say. And the feel for Herbert was strong, you know. And I think that's what will be interesting, like Zach Wilson. I I like the Jags on offense. I think they have less issues than, say, the Jets do. Uh, So there might be more struggles for a guy like Wilson. I think Trevor, I think uh, Mac Jones and Trey Lance have a very good chance to sit early on. So, and then again, there's a bunch of receivers here. Kyle Pitts could be in this conversation. You know, for yeah. for a rookie of the year, but I do think I think that's the nice part about this. You know, the Jags have been on the forefront of a lot of different things. I think his name is going to be right there as one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to win rookie of the year. That's a pretty cool thing, and he's got a fourteen hundred yard back 
to start things off with in the backfield. That's not a bad thing at all. I can't imagine there's been too many rookie quarterbacks that have that in the backfield starting from uh, day one. Let's take another time out. We're live at Amelia River Golf Club. It's Masters Week. Don't forget, check out the Dream 18 card discounted down to $69 this week. You can do that on ESPN690.com. We'll be right back. You know what I do. I watch the tape. I've actually been around Trevor Lawrence, and and he's a terrific kid. But I've not been around Zach Wilson, so I couldn't speak to that. But I think there was a sense of Lawrence, and and this doesn't concern me when I watch tape, as you know, Rich, because you know what I do. But there was a sense that Lawrence was generational, and I think people started with that as their standard. So anything less than talking about him in that way meant that, oh, my God, what's wrong? Something's wrong here. I I didn't start there. I just put the tape on. I think that Trevor Lawrence is a very good prospect. Uh, he's got high-level traits in many areas, but I, I, I would not. I did not come away from watching his tape. And by the way, I watched eight games in 2019 and eight games in 2020. Right. So I watched 16 full games. I did not come away watching Trevor Lawrence's tape thinking that he was generational. So that is Greg Cosell on with Rich Eisen, and what's interesting about that is. He probably didn't come across Patrick Mahomes' tape and say it was generational. And they did do that about Peyton Manning, and then Peyton Manning goes out and throws like 31 picks in his rookie year. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, you know, it doesn't – that stuff doesn't matter, right? I mean, everybody evolves. So it doesn't matter what you did yesterday or how you look or how you perceive to be, and that's the way athletes think anyway. Um, but just keep that in perspective as you hear things like that. Let's hope he's generational, man. That's the thing. You just hope he is. And like I've always said about Trevor Lawrence, I think the floor is good. And you know what? Good around Jacksonville is an improvement. So at least there could be that. And the hope of greatness uh, and maybe that generational stuff comes into play. I think we all know. We're not naive enough to know uh, that that's hit or miss. I mean, that part of it is certainly hit or miss. Brent Martineau. Along with Austin Lane and Coos here on a Monday. Hope everybody had a good Easter weekend, a good weekend in general. We're live at Amelia River Golf Club, and uh, this is a cool place up here. I've played one other time. I did not play today, but a uh, beautiful day up here on the river in Fernandina Beach on the island, um, right in the city limits of Fernandina Beach. But they have new ownership, just got new ownership in November, and they are changing everything around. They're adding to the clubhouse, which is right in front of me. Behind me, they're, they're redoing the driving range, putting a pro shop in. They're spending a lot of money on the golf course and uh, a lot of good things happening at Amelia River Golf Club. Come on, check it out. This is what the Dream 18 card, by the way, is all about, discounted golf. Like before 3 o'clock here at Amelia River, it's it's like uh, 90-something dollars to play, 18 holes. But with the Dream 18 card, it's like it's $55. So you're talking about 40 bucks off, boom, just like that. And this week only because of Masters Week, it's $69 to purchase the Dream 18 card. You get free stuff. You get seven other golf courses at discounted rates as well. Uh, so go check it out, ESPN690.com. Hey, uh, Austin, you would come up here a bunch, Fernandina Beach, Amelia? Yeah, I've been there a couple times. I love it up here. Yeah. Like when I come up here every time, yeah, you know, there's certain places in the area. I mean, you know, from Ponte Vedra to Jack's Beach to Neptune Beach to go down even toward like well, obviously St. Augustine. I think even down toward Matanzas. And this is a spot. It's like, hey, someday when I'm a little older, kids are gone. Do I want to live up here? Yeah. Like that's one of the, that's what I say when I come up here. I could, we don't come up here enough. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's like a bunch of celebrities that live there too, from my understanding. 
I think there are. Uh, yeah, some part time. Like, you know, and, they have like whatever, like the summer houses or stuff like that. Where yeah. They want to get out of the winter. Yeah. So yeah, Millie Island's where it's at. No doubt, and like Fernandina Beach, that the the main drag there on Fernandina Beach, so underrated, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely terrific. So anyway, come on, a beautiful day, beautiful week, really, uh, to get up here to the island. Hey, Baylor Gonzaga tonight. I want to break down the game, but how good a story? I mean, are you a sucker for a story? You're a big tough guy, man. Six six two forty five. Uh, you fight. You gouge people's eyes for a living. I mean, you, you know, all that stuff. Are you a sucker for a story? Baylor, incredible. They had a player kill another player 18 years ago. I mean, you couldn't get yeah. more you know, down in the dumps of a program than that. And Gonzaga is, to me, the, the story that everybody wants to achieve at the mid-major level, from UNF to JU to, to places all over in various sports. You say, maybe we could be like Gonzaga. Mm. And Look at Gonzaga as they are a perennial power, and now maybe the, they are the best team in college basketball. they got a chance to prove it tonight. I'm a sucker for these two stories. I mean, what Scott Drew has done at Baylor and what Mark Few has done at Gonzaga, ridiculously good. Yeah, I'm a sucker for a story. It just depends what that story is. From the Baylor side, uh, you know, like to answer your question, I'm all in on Baylor tonight. Uh, I'd like to see them um, win the championship um, you know, what they've had to overcome because like that's the story that we all love. It's, it's overcoming adversity because it's relatable to everybody. It's, it's a story of, um, you know, that, that you can go back to the beginning of time in terms of adversity and people can relate to that. That's why they identify with it so much from Gonzaga's point of view. You know, this is a team that they've been there a couple times and they haven't won the big one. So that, that that's kind of like their own form of adversity as well. And, you know, it's, can they be an undefeated team? And I forgot who the last undefeated team was, but it's been a long, long time. Can was they that Indiana? The... Was it all the way back to Indiana in 87? I, I, I'm not sure. I'm I, I can't remember. Up. Yeah. Check it out. So can they go undefeated? Like, there's that whole principle as well. I guess, like, where I find myself, though, with Gonzaga, and it's funny because I cheer for Gonzaga, it seems like, every single year. But for whatever reason, like, I'm finding myself – cheering against them this year. And I guess just because they're the front runner. They're supposed to win it. And, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from their undefeated streak if they do win tonight because that means something. But let's be honest. You did it in a conference that isn't really the, the ACC or the SEC or the Big Ten. You know, like in terms of of, uh, of talent, in terms of competition, it's probably a little lacking from their perspective. And that's fine. But for whatever reason, and like I said, I can't, I don't know if it's the fact that they come from a smaller conference. I don't know if it's the fact that they're the front runner, but I find myself this year, for whatever reason, going against Gonzaga. Yeah, and I think some people are, although I'm not. You know, I picked uh, like Texas to win this whole thing. Yeah. And, and by the way, if UCLA, just a note, you know how bad I was in this pool earlier on? Well, if UCLA had won the national championship, I would have been in the money in third. How about that? Just oh, want to wow. brag about that. Yeah. Uh, that's that's called the comeback. <laughs> uh, ben Becker tells me, and I just looked this up as well, I had Indiana right, but it was 75-76 Indiana team okay. that went 32-0. and But then other, there's only been uh, seven to do it. Four UCLA teams, of course, the great John Wooden UCLA teams. Mm-hmm. North Carolina in 56-57. San Francisco in 55-56. I would assume that was Bill Russell-led team uh, for San Francisco back then. So that's what kind of history we're talking about, something that hasn't been done in, uh, do the math for me, 45 years. And 
for Gonzaga, of all teams, to do it. It would almost have like that San Francisco feel of it. But I, I hear what you're saying, man. I think there are people rooting for Baylor with their story against Gonzaga because they've kind of they've already kind of written their 30 for 30. What they're looking for on, for Gonzaga is the final two minutes of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's what they... We're well, looking for that final two minutes of the movie. Now, I'm going to be honest. If you're Baylor and you want to crush that story right now, rock those high-letter uniforms that you guys were rocking a couple years ago, and I will be cheering for Gonzaga all night. I'll be <laughs> shouting go dogs to the top of my lungs. You, you better keep it within the realm of colors like my TV can handle. Because if you bring those highlighter uniforms out, we're going to have issues. I do want to talk a little bit more about the actual game coming up. Uh, two fun teams, two of the best teams in college basketball all year, and uh, hopefully we get a dandy of the game. That game Saturday was so, so good. Uh, a little Major League Baseball talk. Contenders or pretenders after the opening weekend, and much, much more to come. You're at Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690.